All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I am Ryan Selkis at Two Bit Idiots, and got a really exciting interview. My friend Muniba Lee, who's the co-founder and CTO of Blockstack, uh, one of the more high-profile and early-stage projects uh, in the industry. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about what's going on with the project to the extent uh, that Muneeb can. So we're, we're going we're gonna to start with a high level uh, of, of what the project is and, and, and where things are going. And I'm sure there's going to be a ton of folks online that have questions about stacks and the tokens. Um, but uh, I don't know how much of that we're going to get into. I'm going to riff with, with Muneeb on, on what we can and cannot talk about. Uh, because we live in the good old U.S. of A. And not only that, but we live in New York, so we got the bit license to, to worry about too. So I um, want to be sensitive to that, but I think it's going to be a, a really fun conversation and, and with uh, someone that has been at the cutting edge of the decentralization movement since 2013, um, full-time and, and even earlier uh, outside of that. So without further ado, um, I will uh, hand it over to Muneeb. Uh, Muneeb, why don't we start by talking a little bit about the evolution of Blockstack, which um, didn't start as Blockstack, um, but one name, uh, when you were working on the foundational pieces of a decentralized internet and starting with this decentralized name server. So let's um, let's talk about the the traditional internet infrastructure stack and why you guys went that direction and, and experimented early on with um, with Namecoin, I believe at the time, and, yeah. and just how how you fell down this rabbit hole. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, hi, everyone. Maneev uh, from Blockstack. And I think it might make sense to actually first go into a little bit uh, into my background. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did a PhD in computer science from Princeton University uh, in distributed systems. So our research community, we mostly specialize in building like large scale computer networks, uh, internet protocols, data centers, cloud computing, that's the kind of world that was coming from. Mm -hmm. And this is like back in 2013. And the, the, the project really started at, at the computer science department at Princeton. And we were looking at uh, what are the infrastructure problems with the internet? Like imagine like there are certain things that would have been really nice to have at the internet infrastructure level, but we never really had them. Like mm -hmm. imagine internet as like a, like a great like skyscraper that was left unfinished by the founding fathers, mm -hmm. right? So, so, and then uh, companies like Facebook or Google came in and built those services for people, mm -hmm. but in a very centralized way, right? And, and, and that's, where, that's a, the kind of thing, and obviously it's a very, very ambitious task if you're trying to go in and either evolve the internet or in, in certain extreme cases, like build an entirely new network and hope that you know, people can like, migrate over. It was a very, very ambitious project, pretty much like in, in the R&D stages for a very long time, but that's something that we feel very comfortable in. So some of the early people that we hired, they're all computer scientists, mostly from Princeton, then from uh, Stanford and MIT. And in, in the early days, what we were thinking is the one name service that you mentioned, we were thinking that you know this can't be just R&D on the infrastructure. We need to build some sort of a real service on top uh, to get real traction on the platform, to learn while we are doing uh, some of the core R&D work as well. So what, you should think of one name as kind of like a, a registrar service, like almost like a GoDaddy, uh, that was registering your username, at, um, or, or you can think of as a domain name, on this alternative universe. Mm -hmm. right? So that was like pretty exciting. People were uh, claiming their usernames, uh, going through our registrar, and, uh, and registering themselves really on, a, on this like truly decentralized uh, internet, 
Mm -hmm. We ran the service for a while and, uh, and, and realized that uh, it is actually much better if people are able to download client software themselves and, and be fully in control of any assets like these usernames that they are registering uh, on the network instead of going through a third-party service. So and, and, and let's drill down on that because maybe it would have been fair to introduce you as one of the co-stars of Silicon Valley in this last season. <laughs> I, 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 I wonder, and I think it's a fair skeptical critique um, of, of some of the work that the folks, including yourself, uh, are doing. Is this a solution in search of a problem? Like, let's, let's drill down on the actual pain point because you mentioned um, the skyscraper example. It's like the founding you know, fathers forgot to actually include the, yep. the sidings of the, of the, of the skyscraper. Um, I wonder how much that's true versus the need just didn't appear to be acute at the time um, and the internet scaled as it did because it was an emergent system and now there is an opportunity, maybe, but only if there is truly an acute pain point that, that yep. this further decentralization effort is aiming to solve. So, yep. um, so where do you see that pain point right now and, 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 and let's get a little bit more granular with, with um, what the problem is with the incumbents because I feel yeah, like it's it's starting to get on people's minds yeah, But it, the default is still I just want to use this application. Sure, sure, right? absolutely So I think I think the I would say that there is actually a really big pain point, but uh, a Smaller subset of people were feeling it initially and mm -hmm. that circle is just growing and growing and growing and growing Right. Let me let me give you some, some concrete examples uh, so imagine like Larry Page or, or Sergey um, at Stanford mm -hmm. back in the 90s. They wanted to go and crawl the internet. So they could actually like write a web crawler, uh, download all of the data that they wanted to, and basically analyze it, innovate on top of it, come up with a better search algorithm, and, and make Google. Uh, fast forward to two decades later, it's like me and, and, and Ryan at Princeton, and we want to like innovate. Like we were, we, we were really interested in doing something interesting things with the social graph, mm -hmm. and we tried getting that data out of Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, and these companies wouldn't even let you. Like sometimes explicitly through their terms of service, or they would ban you, they block you. So basically, what's happening is that certain information that should be available to any developer so that that developer can innovate on top of it was no longer available to developers unless you work at a Facebook or a Google, right? So mm -hmm. in a way, we as developers were feeling that pain point. And again, I'm saying that initially that subset was very small. It would be the company like, uh, it's funny, we are, we are in Periscope right now, right? And there was a company called Meerkat that was, was exploding in terms of popularity. Uh, Twitter shut down access to Meerkat and then acquired Periscope. Mm -hmm. In a decentralized world, that's not in, in short order. In yeah. very, in very, very short order, right? And in a, in a decentralized world, like there should be competition. Like mm -hmm. you would, uh, you have like antitrust laws against like some of these things that are that are not very effective in the technology space right now. Yeah, through through many definitions, like these large companies are effectively monopolies. Mm -hmm. like they can do whatever they want. And when we and we saw what happened with the Cambridge. Uh, Analytica scandal, the Facebook where it has so much power over, uh, you know, even the opinions people would have uh, during an election. Uh, so that that circle of pain, I would say, has been visibly growing, and it, there there's no seems to be no end in sight. Uh, like every time, let's say, uh, Patreon deplatforms somebody, that hey, you cannot use my my platform anymore. The reaction is that can there be an alternative where no company can can actually uh, just like censor somebody or. Uh, tell them that you can't earn a living 
um, because of you know whatever activities that, that you participate in. That initially sounds like this is just some extreme. Mm -hmm. It's actually not not an extreme case because if you, if you think about it, uh, if, you, if you think about the real world, um, imagine your house, right? You own it, you own all the property inside it, right? If you're having a conversation in your living room, imagine you don't have Alexa or anything like that, you can be fairly certain that it's just a conversation between two people. Mm -hmm. The online world should work closer to how the real world works. But, but just the way things evolved, we ended up almost like always operating in a world controlled by Google or Facebook, where we don't own anything, where we, we never have guarantee of privacy, and it impacts people, right? Like, and, and, and that impact, it, it just keeps growing and growing, and we just happen to be uh, in this space at the right time where we have seen the evolution, right? So we, we, we started focusing a lot more on our infrastructure and actually enabling uh, developers to build on top, and, and now there are, I think, more than 70 independent teams or startups that are building all these different use cases. Like, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the use cases in a yeah. second, but maybe, maybe just to, to summarize that, it seems like there's two um, kind of core problems that people are starting to, to recognize. One is this um, deplatforming, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and at, at the you know, total logical extreme, it's the Black Mirror episode where the person gets unpersoned, right? Yeah. And, and you just see the blurry like person, like you yeah, know, yeah. Wa wa walking out of the room, and and you know, is you, uh, now right. disconnected from from society, exactly. which is essentially the, the digital equivalent of, of what's happening on Patreon and some of these other platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and we won't go into the specific cases, but just the fact that that can happen, I, I think you know, many people would agree is a concern. Then there's the derivative elements, which um, Albert Wenger, one of your investors, uh, has, has written about. I don't know if he calls it the personal API or the open API, mm -hmm. but um, it basically speaks to the fact that even if you wanted to leave these platforms voluntarily because you didn't agree, right? In, in yep. crypto, you'd fork, uh, right? Exit, exit the network. You can't feasibly do that without just leaving your entire digital network Absolutely. behind, right? Um, and so uh, one of the things that might be, uh, you, you've got the, the folks that are being censored, which is the exception, not the rule. Yep. And then you've got maybe the, the folks that can see this in the, in the not too distant future and wanna voluntarily start dabbling with other more open uh, systems that are gonna be a little bit more private. Um, how do you guys tackle that second thesis, which is, yep. Uh, and in many cases, it's like the early Bitcoin community all over again. The early Bitcoin community was the, the dollar is not going to end well, right? We're printing money. It's like the gold bug and libertarian crowd, yep. the Austrian economic crowd. Um, this uh, movement and groundswell to own your own data and, and at least have the ability to exit these digital platforms uh, seems to be the information equivalent. And that's really where yep. Blockstack is coming. Absolutely. So I think, I think um, Balaji has a, has a great phrase. Like he calls it the freedom to exit. Mm -hmm. And people have exercised that freedom, even in terms of migration. Like if you don't like the uh, the kind of like the government of, of the country you're born mm -hmm. into, uh, people exit, people migrate, people go to other jurisdictions where there are more or better opportunities available. And this has been going on forever. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a digital equivalent of freedom to exit, and that's exactly what, what you're describing that right now it doesn't really exist. Like it is so painful for you to kind of like delete your Facebook profile, download everything else, and there's no alternative available. Where would you even take that data, mm -hmm. even if you could get it? But if you truly have this freedom to exit, 
uh, even, even with you, you brought up Bitcoin, uh, it's even uh, in a way different from forking. It's just the fact that you can take your Bitcoins out of Coinbase, mm -hmm. take it to any other exchange that you want. Even that freedom, I would argue this is enough to put pressure on a provider uh, to play nice. Because mm -hmm. if they really start like messing it up, users would just exit. And there are other options available where, where they can go to. Now, I'm trying to think of a service provider like Facebook as a Coinbase, where users could very easily exit, take their data, and it just works equally well, just like you take your Bitcoin out of Coinbase and go somewhere else. And, and do, you think, um, do you think that's feasible? Uh, is it going to require this kind of brave new world of pioneers that say, I'm sick of Facebook, I'm sick of Twitter, I'm sick of you know, all the incumbents, and I just want to start something from scratch? Uh, and do you need that community to emerge first before you can start siphoning off others? Uh, or, or can you work collaboratively with some of these larger platforms, particularly in, in light of the fact that a lot of them are under fire, right? Yep. You know, Zuckerberg has come out yeah, with Facebook, this Facebook manifesto is, of yeah. we're going to decentralize. And, and, you know, you can be skeptical of that, and I'm sure you guys probably are, and I certainly am. But how, how do you think about um, the uh, just pushing on those incumbents uh, because they have just such a massive user base? and and seeding something from the ground up, which is which is one of the tacks that you've taken with Blockstack. Absolutely. So I think our vision there is that um, obviously the uh, like R and D and infrastructure uh, phase needs to happen first, mm -hmm. and we might be at the tail end of it, especially at Blockstack. And then we are focusing a lot more on developers. So think of this as uh, developers. They're, they're they're the folks who are going to build these different experiences, and it's very hard to tell which one of them is going to. So we would rather enable like thousands of experiments on top of these platforms. Platforms, by the way, that actually work, and there, there are very few of them in, in, in crypto right now. And as far as large players are concerned, out of all the conversations I've had, Facebook is obviously taking this extremely seriously now, and it's a good sign, right? Like if they enter, uh, it's a it's a real market. Other other large players would, would have to enter as well. From what I've seen in the industry, everyone who's not a Google or a Facebook is very interested in this shift from cloud computing to decentralized computing because mm -hmm. they have nothing to lose. Right? They already don't have the user data uh, that they monetize. Their business models are not tied to, to user data. So other large tech companies are very interested. It's almost like the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Mm -hmm. They already don't monetize user data and they're very open to a world where you know they, they continue to not have user data, but also their, their, uh, their competitors don't have the user data. And out of the companies that have user data, I think Facebook is by far the biggest one that gets all the heat because of you know certain incidents that have happened or, mm -hmm. um, or how they've been in the spotlight for uh, not handling the user data and, and, and uh, a certain rights level, and, and they're taking it extremely seriously. Um, so the, the second half of that question, you mentioned the 70 or so projects or, or uh, developers uh, folks that are, are building on top of uh, the, the core infrastructure that you've built. Um, walk us through the block stack uh, and, and, and where your core team is spending most of its time versus where you're trying to incentivize community members to build on top. Yep. What, are, what are the core components? Absolutely. So uh, I think you should really think of this project as we, uh, we raised venture capital. Uh, so you mentioned Albert Wenger, Union Square Ventures, that are seed round and our Series A. Um, and, and also participate in the token offering, but the way we have 
taken um, our our approach has mostly been let's figure out the hard computer science problems first, mm -hmm. right? Problems like scalability, problems like security. Uh, let's take what we have done to the real experts, like the distributors and the research community, and, and get peer reviews, publish this at conferences. And when we feel that this this uh, is ready enough, the infrastructure, let's start getting developers on top, right? So, so the first, like I would say, even the four years of the project were pretty much like hardcore R&D, other than some services uh, built on top, and and then uh, probably like last year, developers really started getting into. Uh, using using um, the platform, and there are so many moving pieces. Like imagine a full stack decentralized computing platform that gives you everything you need to quickly build decentralized applications. So just over, I would say, the last two quarters, like in Q4 last year and Q1 of this year, apps published on the platform have been doubling quarter over quarter, and that's because of all the hard work that the team did uh, in, in times before that. So as far as, far as like Blockstack PBC, so I'm I'm the, I'm the CEO of Blockstack PBC, which is a a structure that's a public benefit corp. And we have just two things that we focus on. One is the core protocols and, and developer tools. So we mm -hmm. have a lot of research scientists, we have a lot of engineers, we're building the core platform and the developer tools. And the second thing is, and this is something I never thought I, I, in my life that I'd be doing, uh, we focus on all the compliance and regulations. Right. So imagine that we're creating an ecosystem of many independent entities. The, the entity that I run is, is responsible for the core technology, but at the same time, all of the compliance and regulations and whatever else we need to do, and that's the part where, uh, where you know, as you mentioned already, uh, that, that I can't comment much. Sure. Um, well, I'm gonna try to get you to comment at least a little bit in macro, <laughs> maybe, maybe not specifically on, on, on your particular case. Um, but just to be very clear, so so people just talk about DApps as they're just this magical thing that falls from the sky and they're yeah. better because they're decentralized. Um, the, the core components, you need the uh, the computation, the virtual machine. Yep. Um, you need storage. Uh, you need the namespace, uh, which is where you guys have historically focused. Mm -hmm. What else is required yeah, let to, me, to let complete me, that yeah, puzzle? Let me walk you through, through the stack. So I think we have boiled it down to roughly three things. There, mm -hmm. there, there are other things, but, but let's focus on just three. Uh, the first thing is an authentication protocol. Mm -hmm. right? So imagine if you're a developer, uh, you're building a new app, you either have to uh, create usernames and passwords, or you would use something like Facebook Connect or, or Google Sign In. And instead of using those options, like in, in one case, you're keeping all of the user data on a database. Yep. Right? So you're using the password, or you're using Facebook or Google to do the same thing. Uh, we have a decentralized auth protocol. You just drop it in as a JavaScript library. It works in, you know, almost like how Facebook Connect works. It's fully decentralized, and that's where the, uh, the initial work that we did, where users have their kind of universal usernames comes in. Everyone who has that username can basically just, with one click, use any application. Right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to create a new account every time uh, you want to use a new application, and you also don't have to worry about data traces. Like you're not like making a new account and then that website now knows something about you. You're downloading an app, trying it out locally with a single click. You don't like it, just delete the app and there's no data trace of like uh, anything. The second layer is the data storage layer is called Gaia. And it's very important and we have spent a lot of our R&D on it. And let me, let me explain why. I think, um, I, I think I might, might have been tweeting about this literally this morning, where I think that the entire crypto industry or the decentralized projects 
they've kind of like picked one path, mostly led by Ethereum, and they're just like going down deeper and deeper into that path, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at that path, that path is literally like um, put all the complexity on a blockchain. The blockchain stores most of the data. The blockchain has like a smart contracting system that runs all of the computations and everything is a smart contract, mm -hmm. right? So I view that this as a very, very complex network. And our approach is almost like the exact opposite of it, right? So the data storage there is completely separate from the blockchain. You're not supposed to store like any large amounts of data at the blockchain at all. And in, even with the storage system, we are not taking the approach of like, you know, well, with most projects, they are trying to build like peer-to-peer -peer systems, meaning that I keep some of my data on your computer or somebody else's computer or some random stranger's computer. If that person like walks away, closes their laptop, that data is no longer available. There's like, there, there's like a rich history of peer-to-peer -peer systems research where these approaches have historically never worked out. Mm -hmm. We took the approach that so many data centers and cloud storage systems have already been built out. Let's repurpose them in a decentralized way. So we wrote this wide area file system that puts encrypted data on existing storage providers. Uh, so users would get like their own private data locker, right? And you can choose where you want to keep it. And, and it basically, if you connect your Dropbox, or if you connect your Google Drive, or you put it on our, we, we run a, a storage service as well, uh, you can keep it there, but it, it's yours. I think it, in a way it takes you back to the, the desktop era, mm -hmm. where both for our apps, you like uh, remember you're downloading the apps and you're installing them locally. Similar to desktop software, you would get it in a CD-ROM, you would install it locally, and then the, the app is storing data locally with you. Similar in our case, it is storing data with you, with the difference that you are storing data backed by actual cloud storage. In a fully encrypted way though, because because Dropbox wouldn't be able to see where, where the data is stored, and you can use multiple such providers. And and that's where the token comes in, correct? No, that's the that's the layer uh, beneath. So the third. So so, so why um, I wasn't sure if if uh, the token was going to be used for that as well. Why why have you not um, focused on securing those? Lockers, wherever they might be, yeah, uh, by and, and ensure availability because that that's like the Filecoin system. Yeah. So, so one difference with Filecoin's approach and our approach is that Filecoin is also trying to incentivize people to connect storage, so that they would get incentivized by Filecoin tokens. Got it. We're not getting into that at all. Okay. Where we use the token is only for access control. Got so it. on the Stacks blockchain, you would register kind of like your your uh, your key pairs and only the key pairs who are registered can get access to the data lockers, and that's it. Our, so, like, you know, Juan is a friend of mine, he was with me at, at Y Combinator, and if he cracks that problem, great, we can plug it in, right? But it, in my view, it's a very, very hard problem to solve, and that's why he's putting a lot of resources behind it, and, and uh, we are not even touching that problem. Uh, our model is that people would eventually need to pay for their storage, and they already do. Like, there are so many, Dropbox is a public company, there are so many, many people who already pay Dropbox, and, and cloud storage, the storage has also historically been a very cheap thing in computing. Like the price of storage drops faster than, than other confidence. So there should be plenty of storage available for people to just use it in the appropriate way in, in the decentralized app. And so the access control system, um, the reason for the token is so that you are never the provisioner exactly. of last resort. So that's, that's the third part and that's the Stacks blockchain. Uh, so imagine the Stacks blockchain is again, our approach is that it's a very light blockchain. We only do minimal things at the blockchain there. 
we do have smart contracts, which we are, uh, I'll, I'll get into that uh, in a little bit, like how our approach is very different uh, for smart contracts as well. But the Stacks blockchain is in a, in a nutshell, the place where you register digital assets, like usernames, where developers would publish uh, uh, smart contracts. And, and basically there, there are some very interesting things we have done on the incentive model that instead of just having incentive for the core protocol developers, like, like myself and, and, and others like Jude and Aaron, uh, or, or even like you know, the entities who are, who are kind of like building the, the core protocols, basically we expanded the concept to developers in general. Right? So we have this, this notion of app mining where apps that get ranked uh, higher uh, would get a portion of the token, newly minted tokens, and they go to them, right? And we have, we have been running that program in, in a pilot phase. Uh, so, so imagine like, you know, the app, in the Apple App Store, Apple decides what to feature, and we are, are basically decentralizing uh, uh, how apps get ranked. So we have reviewers like Product Hunt or uh, uh, user testing and, and uh, are, are, are basically adding reviewers who rank apps based on you know the criteria that we think would be useful for the community. So so initially, like the uh, user experience of applications wasn't that great. So we added a reviewer that is explicitly giving them scores on how good the UX is, and the UX of the apps basically started going up. So imagine like having many. How, now, how how are people using the apps right now if the stacks are not? Live. Those, those are the. Uh, this is all test net. No, or? no, it's it's live net. But we are we basically came up with um, uh, this 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 phase we are operating in, where imagine that certain features on our blockchain are turned off uh, because of regulations, but we are kind of like footing the bill for registering users uh, directly uh, on on the blockchain. But if you want to burn stacks, the blockchain right now, being the stacks blockchain. The stacks blockchain. So okay. if you if you want to burn, uh, uh, so let, let me remind a little bit. So they're using they're they're basically using your stacks for free yes. during this test phase until you can release to okay. And and uh, because only accredited investors could participate in our fifty million offering in two thousand seventeen, uh, that's like that's you know, not everyone in the world is an accredited investor, and so they don't have access to the stacks tokens, and this is something that we've been, we've been working on for a while. That's mostly true. There were users that were able to, were they able to, per they weren't able to purchase, they were just able to reserve vouchers, yes. correct? Well, what we did was, so that, that was our 50 million offering in 2017. Again, I think it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to go a little bit deeper into it. Uh, I almost feel like- When we, you can. We, well, the, the the last one I can I can talk about right? mm -hmm. the 2017 one. Again, I think like I'm, I'm noticing this trend that we 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 end up doing things very differently from the rest of the industry. So when there was this like quote unquote ICO mania happening in 2017, uh, we you know potentially could have raised a lot more capital. We could have raised it as like okay, just you know we have the money and we, we choose to do whatever we want with it. Uh, the way we did it, a we were looking very uh, carefully into securities regulations, and we're setting up legal structures that we, we, we thought would be compatible with, with existing securities regulations in the US, and we ended up with uh, these Delaware funds. So investors were basically becoming limited partners in the fund, and then we had this self-imposed uh, investor protection mechanism where in the uh, LP agreement, the limited partner agreement, only 20% of the capital would come out as R&D explicitly. So mm -hmm. this is money for, for uh, Blocks IPVC to do R&D work on the blockchain. 
if you guys don't do it, and, and the timelines were very aggressive, it was January of 2019 that it already passed. If we don't build the Stacks blockchain and take it live by January of 2019, the funds would liquidate and the money would go back to the investors. Right? So we were holding ourselves, and it was completely self-imposed. And, and you can imagine the pressure at our team last year when, yes, we raised 50 million. I, I, so I appreciate it, right? Uh, I, I, I will always take a skeptical lens of that, though, because you also controlled what the deliverable was to a certain extent, right? Because you could ship it if you had to, if you had to hit the, uh, the date, uh, even if it was feature incomplete or if it was a little bit rushed. It, no, it was a, it was an independent uh, board who would evaluate mm -hmm. it. They did evaluate it. And, okay. And so there was, there was no one from our company on that board. Got it. So there were a couple of investors and a couple of independent parties who would then evaluate that did this ship mm -hmm. is the network live with the functionality that they said that it would be live. And literally the board could have decided that no, it's not. It also would have been against their best interest. <laughs> I, I think the structure the structure was, was uh, it, it was a great structure, but uh, I, uh, I, I think it was a reasonable, fair, and forward-thinking structure. But um, I, you know, I think you should earn your 50 million, and, and most, most, most people might, might, might think that that's reasonable versus you know, something to, to, to be lauded uh, a little bit over, overboard. Um, but you know, you've done a lot of things right. You've been thoughtful with the approach. Uh, you've been thoughtful from a regulatory standpoint, from, from uh, how this gets managed, how it gets built out. So, so you know, across the board, I think that a lot of things have, have, have gone well and uh, seem to be trending in the right direction. Having said that, there's a uh, totally different approach that mm -hmm. you could take to building one of these systems, and that's what Ethereum has done, yep. um, which was to play fast and loose, to yep. get things off the ground, to push the envelope. Um, they, from a regulatory standpoint, seem to be in the clear, right? Yep. Grandfathered in, you might say, mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe because they were early, it's now gotten to the point where you know doing something ex post facto would be too damaging or counterproductive. Um, but, uh, from a technical side, you've also weighed in on, on some of the challenges that, that, that there are with Ethereum. So let's talk about um, Ethereum itself and how you see Blockstack versus Ethereum or sure. as a complement um, and what you have commented on historically regarding Ethereum 2.0, which I think even the core developers will tell you is a brand new blockchain. Yeah, it is. Right? It is so, a but but you, you've been you've been outspoken and you've actually I, reviewed I, some of the research. Yes, I, I haven't. So let me let me go back to actually when the first time I saw the Ethereum white paper. Mm -hmm. Right, I read it, and to be very frank, very honest, I'm wearing my computer scientist hat. Like it was it, to me, it sounded like you know, pie in the sky ideas. Uh, incredibly complex thing that is probably impossible to build. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say probably impossible to build, the reason is that there is a lot of at least prior work that tends to um, uh, basically point us to the fact that such networks are extremely hard to build. Right? Let, let, let me get into why. The first thing is that uh, in, in distributed systems, there's this principle called, called the end-to-end -end design principle. It's very old, it's by this guy David Clark from MIT. He was the chief protocol architect of the internet. He built the internet, right? And the idea is that in large complex networks, you should keep them very simple at the core and have all the complexity at the edges, mm -hmm. right? And time and time again, and this sometimes goes outside of distributed systems as well. And a classic example is 
there used to be a computer set architecture called the complex instruction set back in the uh, early 80s. And there was the RISC architecture, reduce instruction set architecture. Reduce instruction set basically said, just do a few things, multiplication, addition, uh, and do it really well. And people will build complexity on top of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas there was a very, very complex microchip, nobody knows about it today. RISC completely took over the market. That's the only thing we use now. Same with the internet, right? They were actually very complex other alternate networks that never took off. And the internet, all it was doing was taking packets from one place and delivering it there, but it was doing a good job at just that one thing. So from that perspective- The, the, quip, the quip for how to describe this is worse is better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically like saying that your core of the network has to be simple, mm -hmm. right? And again, like it's a design principle. Sure, maybe, you know, uh, someone can come up and crack this problem and make build a very complicated thing uh, that, that ends, up, ends up working out, but, but I was extremely, extremely uh, skeptical, not just that, but also the approach of like using a Turing-complete language, effectively allowing remote code execution, which anybody would think that hey, this is a bad idea. Uh, any random developer in the world can write code, you're forced to run it, right? And it's a Turing-complete language, meaning it can do anything, right? So, so I've been skeptical of the approach in general, uh, and, and as you said, that Ethereum took a very different approach. Uh, I think they attracted a bigger community, they were very vocal, uh, really good at marketing, right? And Vitalik is, is, has, has a huge following. And the interesting thing is that most people, and I mean that as respectfully as, as, as possible, in crypto have no idea, have absolutely no idea what those technical writings and papers mean. Like, they could be gibberish and they won't be able to tell the difference. Well, I mean, uh, e even, even me, if, I, if I'm trying to give a skeptical, uh, hard-hitting technical interview, uh, I certainly can't do that, right? So I can push back on some of the, the high-level things that you say, but um, one of the things that I think in, in this market that's, that's you know, fascinating to watch is uh, that everybody has an opinion sure. on Twitter, and you don't necessarily see this with astrophysics, um, sure. but but plenty of people are armchair cryptographers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so, so I think so. Or, or even worse, right, uh, they basically just put a finger in the air and say, oh, this will get figured out. Exactly. So um, let me, let that's me, not how the physics work. Yeah, let me, let me give you like a very, very concrete example, right? So sometimes I would end up publicly saying something or being publicly critical or something, and then people would be like, but what about this? What about, the, here's a proposal. Here, I'm like, I can't sit there basically finding flaws in, in all of these proposals all day, right? Like the best thing I can do is build an alternative that uses mm -hmm. a different different architecture and just put it out there and see what happens. But are, you, are you still anchoring to Bitcoin? Uh, we, we are, I'll, I'll get into okay. it. Uh, we'll uh, finish the Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. Finish the, like, the Ethereum stuff. But sometimes, you know, they would people would be um, asking questions and they'd be like, can you be more specific? So mm -hmm. a couple of times we have tried being more specific. One such instance was, um, Casper CBC published a research paper. And there was, on Twitter, people were like, look, they were saying that, you know, Vitalik and Bilal won't be able to do this research, they just published their research paper, it has all these equations, it proves everything, right? And internally, or in my computer science circles, I would, we would look at it and we would be like, what is this thing? There's an in, there, but there's an integral. Uh, symbol in, in the white paper, so it looks yeah, official. Yes, right. So we, we actually <laughs> went through uh, a 
again, all, I, I talked to Vlad and Vitalik about this, you know, all due respect to them. Uh, I, I, it was one of the hardest research papers I've read in my life. I've been doing this for more than 16, 17 years now, right? Doesn't make any sense. We went through the hardship of like trying to make sense of what this thing is and try to imagine that there are uh, concepts in, in distributed systems called like Byzantine fault tolerance, mm -hmm. right? BFT, a lot of people talk about it. The paper gets the definition. Which is basically how do you solve the double spending problem when, when you don't have some central source of that's, truth, that's, right? that That's one kind of like way in which that mm -hmm. problem shows up. But imagine like, you know, some other field like physics. Mm -hmm. There's a definition of gravity, right? And some author uses a different definition of gravity we point that out, that this is not the definition of Byzantine fault tolerance. And I think Bilal ended up admitting that, yes, I have my own definition, right? Th and then there are proofs in it. So the way to explain it is, if I give you a set of things to prove, to say that this is a Byzantine fault tolerance program, and I give you a set of proofs in that paper, there are zero overlap in those two sets. Mm -hmm. So effectively, the proofs don't prove anything. At all, absolutely, right? And you're sitting there, you're looking apples at apples and oranges. And and, and we, we we wrote a public review. We we tried to make it like you know as polite as possible. We got feedback from uh, uh, from from a bunch of people, from Vlad and Vitalik as well. And then we ended up publishing it. Obviously, people like Ethereum has a very large community, and people don't like to uh, get the view that the the folks who are trying to design these protocols might not know what they're doing. So that's that's I think that's that's the kind of thing I, I end up running into. Yeah, I can't imagine why that might be uh, uh, something that folks push back on. With all due respect, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, that sounds like something I would say, but yeah, I'm sure you said it much more. <laughs> I'm sure you said it much more politely. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I think in general, let, let's go back to Ethereum 2.0. Uh, and again, like they are very intelligent people. Like I think my point is, my advice has always been to the Ethereum community: please engage with the distributed systems research community. It's a very small community, they know each other, right? And I can tell whenever someone from the distributed systems research community engages with crypto. There are very few handful. Are, are most of them still primarily Bitcoin? Or are there other projects that have attracted? Uh, Al Algorand is one mm -hmm. team. They're absolutely stellar distributed system researchers who are working on Algorand. Mm -hmm. right? Like I, I've known, they're known entities in, in, uh, in the research circles and I have a lot of respect for them. Um, and then, so they're coming, right? Like they're slowly, they've been very skeptical of this space in general, but they're slowly, I think they see that, hey, this might be the next thing after cloud computing and, and, and they're turning over. So very quickly about Ethereum 2.0. Uh, <clears throat> so going back to like, hey, it's a complex network, maybe you want to simplify it. Ethereum 2.0 effectively doubles it down on it. Mm -hmm. That we will solve complexity by throwing in more complexity. And they're, they're, it's like, we are going to kill the Ethereum 1.0 chain. I don't think most Ethereum holders actually realize that, that this is the plan. And then we're going to start a new chain, and it's going to take between two to five years, and here are the five steps, and two of them are missing. Right? Like If you look at the level of details that are mm -hmm. there in terms of what they're going to do, uh, it's basically like, we will figure it out. Right? And that's where it goes back to, uh, is the approach that, yes, we will figure it out, as we go, maybe better with like a large community working at it versus like our uh, you know more professional 
we will we will engage all the experts and make sure that uh, we only proceed once once we believe that that we we actually have a solution. Well, yeah, and then because well, the the other component of it is barring any catastrophic structural failure, right, of 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 the underlying system. Um, there are enough vested interests that will figure it out, right? Sure. Inferior technology is one countless times just sure. because it's, it's already had critical mass. So um, how do you balance that? Because uh, you know, you're talking about orders of magnitude um, difference between the Ethereum community and Blockstack. I don't even think that Blockstack is probably in the top five, right? People are building on EOS, people are building on um, Cosmos now because I think that there probably is a strong bias towards things that are in production and, and actually um, in the wild. Uh, how, how long can you continue to push forward with your existing community before the regulatory holdbacks just completely put you behind the eight ball? Sure. So I think uh, the way we look at the ecosystem right now is that we're noticing a lot of applications in uh, decentralized finance where smart contracts are kind of like needed, where transaction volume might not be the bottleneck. Like you're not, not going to take a loan out like you know 10,000 times a day, or hopefully you, you wouldn't. <laughs> and, uh, those use cases are working on systems like Ethereum, right? Because transaction volumes are low, mm -hmm. uh, they require smart contracts. Yes, Solidity is not the best smart contract language out there, but it works, right? And, and it, Given and by, by the way, our team tends to think that, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, but I know others have, have, on our team have written about this, that uh, not only is it okay, but it's maybe likely that Ethereum becomes a DeFi blockchain. And then Web3, you know, more data-driven, high-throughput applications end up being on some other derivative. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is exactly the point I, I was getting at. The developers were building, like, on our platform, if you look at the Apple App Store, there are categories, right? Like mm -hmm. social apps, business apps, security mm -hmm. apps, whatever. So decentralized apps and gaming, like gambling effectively, are the main use cases on Ethereum, EOS, Tron, if you consider that real, uh, these Tron, we, we, we have to talk about <laughs> Tron after you finish this thought. But if you look at all the other categories, you're actually seeing more traction on Blockstack than on these systems, right? And here's a reason for it. The reason is, if you're building a Twitter on Ethereum, that is implemented as a smart contract where every time there's a transaction and a, and a transaction fee to tweet. Nobody mm -hmm. is going to use that, right? Whereas our architecture is so different that if you're building a Twitter on top of Blockstack, you don't have to hit the blockchain every time you tweet, right? So, so that I would say that the, our architecture is already well-suited for more general purpose applications and we are seeing developer traction uh, in, in those categories and we are launching a much more secure smart contracting language. Uh, sure. So you know you br you bring up Tron. I, I love talking about Tron because in these open source environments, you can steal everything, mm -hmm. right? So this is not only relevant for Tron; it's also relevant for Ethereum. And, and kind of the, the second part of the point, which is, um, as long as there isn't a catastrophic flaw, or as long as the architecture to, uh, is not so broken that you have to throw the whole system out. You should be able to take, the core developer should be able to fork in anything from you guys, from Algorand, from Zcash, from, you know, uh, whether you're talking about a feature or a subcomponent or maybe even an entire subsystem, provided that um, you, you can build this out in a modular fashion. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, 
is there some flaw in that thinking, or 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 uh, what happens if the um, will you be able to tell uh, whether the architecture is broken until it just breaks and like the whole system crashes? Uh, for you, uh, maybe I'm not articulating it that well, but I think yeah, you get what I'm driving. At. I I heard multiple questions in there, right? So the first question was, can other people uh, just take something that one project has done and implement? I think theoretically they can. Mm -hmm. When it comes to reality. It actually is more of a concept of like uh, almost like school of thought, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if if you're in one school of thought, you truly believe like there are people who truly believe that sharding is the way to go forward, right? I would not even attempt a solution that touches sharding. Like it's like there's no way this can work. Absolutely the wrong approach. I'm not doing it. But the people who believe sharding is going to work are going to assemble together, and they're going to be attracted to the projects that are trying to make sharding. Mm -hmm. like, like same with like proof of, proof of stake or same with there's an entire community where people are building programs on top of WebAssembly, WASM. That, that thing, WASM, was designed to make JavaScript faster. That is not the problem you're trying to solve in blockchains. You're trying to have security at the smart contract level, mm -hmm. not to make JavaScript faster. But there are people out there who, who are excited by that approach and they're going to kind of like hang out together and then try and build multiple ecosystems. If we think that that community can just change their mind, can truly become convinced that sharding is a bad idea, or or, or VASM is a bad idea, uh, sure they can they can technically change that for something else. But I believe that it's not just about adopting technology; it's more about what is what what's your school of thought, what do you really believe in, and 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 where are you going to end up going. So uh, we, we've already gone a little bit longer than I normally do um, for, for these, but it's, it's just because you've got the combination of uh, the, the background uh, in distributed systems and, and actually can opine on some of these and have and have been asked to, mm -hmm. um, and then everything that's going on with Blockstack and, and the fact that it is very under the radar yep. still, uh, just given some of the, the constraints. So, so some of them were planned. We were like heads down, just, yeah. just, mm -hmm. just building stuff. Um, we're going to have to have a follow-up conversation when we possibly can sure, about sure. The, the, the whole process that, that, that you guys are going through and, and, and some of the challenges on the, on the non-technical yeah. and non-business even side and, and just the compliance side. Um, but what, what do the next three to six months look like from a roadmap perspective? Um, there's probably a couple of things that we have to squiggle out and we can't talk about yeah. where they are on the roadmap. But, but what, from, from what you can talk about, what's, what success look like for the rest of 2019? Yeah, so I, I think we're, we're, we're very excited about the, the developer traction. Um, I mentioned that apps, like real usable apps uh, with real utility, they've roughly been doubling quarter over quarter in Q4, Q1. And, and right now, our, think of this way, and, and I have to like phrase it very carefully, that due to certain regulations, certain features on our platform are effectively turned off. Mm -hmm. right? And I cannot comment on the timeline, but... Um, it, it, it is possible that we are able to turn on these features sometime soon. And when that happens, that means that the full functionality of our, our full stack computing, including the blockchain layer, including you know, uh, uh, tokens, smart contracts, all of that, is now fully available uh, to folks. And mm -hmm. obviously, you know, we're, we're working very hard towards that. Uh, once that happens, I think uh, in terms of the rest of the year, our, our focus is uh, remains on developers. We believe that it's not just the quantity of developers, it's also the quality of developers, like more professional developers who actually look under the hood, 
before, like if you're a serious startup and you want, or even a serious company, like a large company, and you want to build on top of a platform, you're going to look under the hood. You're going to, you need to feel comfortable that the underlying platform can actually scale, is actually secure, it's run by people who know what they're doing. And I think we are attracting uh, those type of developers and, and I would, I would, I would uh, love to uh, see that developer community grow more. Neep, thanks so much for coming on a Friday. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed this one. I, I, I always have to, you know, normally I try to tap out after 20 to 30 minutes. Um, this is like a marathon session for me, especially yeah, trying to, especially trying to keep up with you uh, when I'm a not an engineer and b uh, I'm 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 seeding a couple dozen IQ points I think. So I hope that this was a good one to follow, mostly because I'm sure many bailed me out for for any poorly worded questions. But um, we'll have this up on iTunes uh, next week. We got a lot more coming up next week, uh, both on the technical and the business side from from other guests. But uh, in the meantime, you can check out Blockstack and uh, their developer tools if you're thinking about decentralized applications. And of course, you can follow Muneeb on Twitter where he has his, his first name handle, at Muneeb, which is a huge win. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, thank, and, thank, thank you so much. This definitely went on for longer. And one, one uh, final comment about Ethereum, that any of my views about it are purely about the technology. I, I, I really appreciate the Ethereum community. They're one of the early people who kind of like made decentralized computing. How do you feel about Ripple? <laughs> You're opening up and, a new chapter. And <laughs> scene. Thank you. Guys, Thank you. until next week, have a good weekend. Peace. Thanks, everyone.